Hey everyone, our greatest desire is that this podcast would make you more excited about studying the Bible. So we encourage all to come to their own conclusions based on a personal study of God's Word regarding the subjects being discussed. The views expressed by the guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our sponsors or who they represent. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review or share it with your friends. Now, here's the show. After an experience of where I should have fleed, which I did, but I I crawled away. Hmm. And my situation, my relationship caught me back up. No, I didn't want it, but I wanted it to, and it did. And if I'd stuck to my principles and fled that first time, my life would be very different. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Today's show features a guest that we're super excited to be able to have on, and her name is Charlene Coutet. Charlene has recently moved from Manchester, England, her home, to California with her husband, Clive, and her two overly cute children. She's a full-time mom, a mean vegan cake baker, and she's even got a degree in printed textile design from the Royal College of Art in London. Charlene has a real drive to help young people navigate through relationships God's way. And so in this episode, we travel through time with a character who's mentioned in the book of Genesis more times than God himself, Joseph. Joseph is Jacob's 11th son, the first from his beloved wife, Rachel. Now, while many may think it to be great to be born into this patriarchal family, if you know these guys, you know trouble follows them around like a bad smell. Basically, Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. And this is pretty obvious. I mean, he even gets that famous Technicolor dream cult that highlights the fact. And if that wasn't enough, Joseph is a dreamer. And he has a dreamer, a quite important one, where his whole family, even his father, is bowing down to him. And he shares that dream with everyone. His brothers eventually, in their jealousy and resentment of their younger sibling, attempt to take his life. His own brothers were going to just kill him and tell his father that he was mauled to death by a wild beast. They instead throw him into a pit before concluding to sell him to some passing traders who, by the providence of God, were heading to the land of Egypt. When Joseph first came to Egypt, it would have been a complete culture shock to him, completely different to his home life before. Mm -hmm. I mean, they lived in tents. It was a very rural life. I mean, there was order and discipline. Sure. But the idolatry and the visuals and the assault on his senses that he would have experienced when he came to Egypt would have been something that 
you know, it would have been something you'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we know that he's taken up into the house of Potiphar, right. who was a an official in, in the government uh, to Pharaoh. So this, this couldn't have been more different from no, where Joseph has just come from. Very, very different. Um, and for somebody who'd set his heart to serve God, had those characteristics of purity and mm-hmm. steadfastness and being upright, um, it would have been a complete change. And to be able to stand fast in a society that was so driven by idolatry, mm-hmm. everything was geared up to some sort of worship, right. to some sort of deity. But he does well. Like, he, you know, he's, he's, he's growing. He's, he's a hard worker. He gains an important position within um, Potiphar's house. He's, he's doing well. Yes, his characteristics of integrity and honesty, mm-hmm. and he was really hardworking. Yeah. And Potiphar noticed that. He saw that anything that Joseph put his hands to, mm-hmm. it was blessed. Right. And Joseph didn't take that, you know, glory to himself. You mm-hmm. know, oh, I'm mm-hmm. such a hard worker. No, he, he, it was very clear to those around that it was because of God that I'm serving God. Right. And even Potiphar acknowledged that. Mm-hmm. It's his deity, whoever he's serving is blessing him. And because of that, he literally put everything he owned into Joseph's hands. Mm-hmm. He didn't know what he had. He just trusted that it was in good hands and he just ate and carried on with his business. Now this put him in a position then where he was open or at least vulnerable to a certain temptation. Uh, we read that um, Potiphar's wife took notice of him. Mm-hmm. And Joseph is, is portrayed as somebody who'd be quite attractive. Um, we don't know how far his physical attractiveness was mm-hmm. was there, but we know that even having these characteristics, you see somebody who is honest, upright, who carries himself well, distinguishes mm-hmm. themselves um, above others, is a, is a leader, seems to be a natural-born leader. Right. It, it has a level of attraction, and yeah. unfortunately for him, he's just going about his God-given duty. He's doing what he feels is right, and somebody just happens to take notice of him and decides, well, you know what, I want that. Mm. I want to get involved in that, and it presents a massive challenge to him. And he's not going out of his way to seek any of this. He's just he's focused on what God has given him to do. Absolutely. For Joseph, he's operating in what could be seen as a safe place for him. He's, he knows his job. He knows mm-hmm. what he's, his duties, what he's supposed to carry out. Right. That's his safe environment. He, he's competent in his area of what he's doing. And, and he's, not, he's not operating outside of God's will. No. He's very much doing what God has put before him, and he's doing it diligently mm-hmm. uh, with integrity and steadfastness. But even still in that safe place, inside of what could be, be said as God's will for his life at that moment, Mm -hmm. external temptation comes and troubles him, an outsider comes and invades that sphere of of him just going about his duty. And he can almost have this idea that, you know, maybe if I'm I'm inside the will of God, that's where I'm safe. Mm -hmm. We know that if we go and do things that um, we're not supposed to do, or there's certain places that we're told when we grow up, you know, if you go in there, uh, angels aren't going to follow you. You're on your own. Right. They'll wait outside. Yeah. So you have this idea um, on the reverse that if I am in the will of God, if I'm doing what he's put before me mm. with godly principles and integrity, I should be completely surrounded by angels. Right. Nobody's going to come and trouble my sphere mm. and I'm just going to do my God-given duty. Right. And what do you do when you are doing everything right and the devil still comes after you? You know, 
it's more likely that he probably will. Right. Because it's like, okay, he thinks he might be safe in there, mm -hmm. but I'm just going to challenge that. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, you know, these things are allowed to grow us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just about putting your head down, tunnel vision, and I'm doing what's right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's growth. This journey and this life journey is about growth, right. character building. Right. And this challenge from Potiphar's wife was a big challenge to his mm -hmm. character and his integrity. Um, the way society was in Egypt, it wasn't just the men having money and doing business and different things. Women had a very equal standing mm -hmm. also. So she would have been pretty wealthy. Right. Potiphar wasn't without wealth. She would have had different ways to be able to promote herself. So she was uh -huh. a woman who had assets. You know, it wasn't unheard of that the, the chief steward runs off with the master's wife and huh. sets up his, you know, a life of his own huh. through the wealth of, of right, the woman. Yeah. You know, the, the options for him were quite great. Temptation has provided Joseph with a way out of his Egyptian predicament. Potiphar's wife, seeing Joseph prosper in her husband's house, attempts to seduce the young Hebrew. She approaches him, and perhaps more words are shared than this, but the Bible states that she bluntly asks him to lie with her. Joseph's faith is once again put to the test. How will he react now that he's tempted and nobody is watching? That's it. It's not that no one else is watching. He knows that God is watching. Mm. He has such a view of the heavenly audience. That's part of his life. It's not just God floating away over there on a cloud with his angels and a telescope. Mm -hmm. And maybe the telescope pointed somewhere else today. Right. No, no, no. He understands that God is watching everything that I do. Not as, you know, not to spy on me. But he's a father looking down on his child. Mm. Making sure at every possible point that he's safe, that he is okay. And he does that to each and every one of us. Mm. I mean, I'm a mother. And I remember when I first had my my daughter, my first child, we brought her home from the hospital. And I put her in that little Moses basket and I'm looking over at her. Mm. She was so still and quiet. And I watched over her nonstop. I didn't sleep. People say, you know, you're gonna have sleepless nights when you have kids. Mm. It's not just because they cry. It's because you're absolutely worried over them. Wow. And I literally almost started my Christianity again in that moment because I was like, God, this is what you do to me. Mm. You're not just, you know, looking at me to make sure I'm not slipping up so you can write it in your book. No, you're watching me and not taking your eyes off me just in case I stop breathing. I was like, mm. if, she, if she stopped breathing, I thought she would stop breathing. I'd, I'd poke her or I'd shake the Moses <laughs> basket. I'd be like, Lord, make her show that she's alive. Right. I'm that interested mm. in her life and her comfort and her well-being. Mm -hmm. I just watched over her constantly. And that's the same thing that, that Joseph perceives God is doing for him. God isn't just somebody over there to mm. him. No, he is that father that's looking out for me. And he is watching me. He does see what I'm doing. So regardless if I can, I can get away with things and the world doesn't find out, I mean, we have laws of this land here. Mm -hmm. And if there, we, we do tra transgress those laws, there are repercussions. But, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people get away with a lot of things. Right. But it's not so in the heavenly realms. Mm -hmm. And Joseph is absolutely aware of that. That is so plugged into his day-to-day -day reality that we hear the statement, you know, how can I do this and sin against my God? Mm -hmm. 
God's right here. He's right. part of this situation. I'm not just operating in secret. And that's it's it, that's that's really deep because when we think, you know, I've I've been told so many times, oh, God is watching. You know, when you're being tempted and you feel, you know, the really strong temptation come, just remind yourself that God is watching. And it's like, oh. You know, yeah, it's like a fear like, thing, oh, right? God is watching. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do it then because because God is watching. Mm-hmm. You know, when really that's not the picture that God is giving us in the scriptures. That's not how He wants us to see Him. No, why? Why is He watching? What is He watching for? And literally, that statement makes you think, "Oh, He's just getting a tick list for mm. all the reasons why she shouldn't be allowed to go into heaven." Right. But more often than not, I mean, it's always the case that He's watching to make sure that you are okay. He's watching not just to protect uh, your physical person, but all of the things that he knows are going to come on in your life. Mm-hmm. That decision that you might be making, that place that you're going, maybe it's a bit late um, with somebody who maybe you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. It's not that God's watching to be like, oh, look what he or she's right. doing. It's, oh, my child, you're not safe. And when you go and do those things, you know, you may feel great in that moment, but... I know what's going to happen to you later. Mm. I know what that's going to do to your heart. I know how you're going to hurt from that later. And he's watching as a father, just almost crying over his child. Please just stay safe. Stay in the place that I've said for you to stay. Because it's love. It's not a spy nation. It's love. Mm. And this is clearly the relationship that Joseph has with God. Because when he's tempted... He's not saying, well, I might get caught. Let me run away. He's not saying, oh, God is watching. Maybe I shouldn't. He's saying, how could I possibly do this thing against my father? Mm-hmm. He knows it will, it will hurt his father. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's lost one of those already. That's absolutely true. And think about it. Who else is there in that moment? We read that. Potiphar's wife had sent everybody out of the house. Mm-hmm. There was no one there apart from the temptress or the temptation. Right. So who else would have seen but God? But Joseph is so in tune with God being a part of his life. He is part of his day-to-day visual reality, if anything, the mm-hmm. way he acts. Sometimes we act certain ways when we know that certain people can't see us or we're away right. from home. But he acts the same way as if a physical person was there with him in mm. the room with Potiphar's wife as well. Almost like, can you not see that God is here, woman? Right. Yeah. Why are you? I can't do that. Uh-huh. It's that real to him. Yeah, It's that real. Joseph is unyielding. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? But he's met his match. Potiphar's wife simply won't take no for an answer. The scriptures tell us that she came back to Joseph day after day after day, constantly plaguing him. She wanted Joseph, and she was going to do everything in her power to make sure he was hers. And so one day, Joseph shows up for work. And when he arrives, Potiphar's entire house is empty. Potiphar's wife presents 
the final temptation mm -hmm. that we read. She's repeatedly come before, right. yep. but now she's orchestrated events so that there is no possible way in her mind uh -huh. that he can resist me. Right. The house is empty, you know, his integrity won't be compromised, nobody will see. Mm -hmm. It's just us. He cannot resist me. And she presents herself to Joseph again. And Joseph literally as he gives his answer and reply, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to do this. Mm -hmm. She takes hold of his garment like she's that close. She's right. that much in his space. And I think sometimes, you know, we read these things and, and it almost seems like it's very, you know, PG-13. <laughs> you know, like here's, here's a nice woman and she just wants to be friends with Joseph. You know, so let me just get really no, This is a woman who is desperate to be involved sexually with this young man and she comes to him and like you said she presents herself you know like she's an open door she's saying joseph i'm yours and she traps him almost this is this is a serious temptation this is not just a little light thing she's coming to a man who has like passions mm -hmm. and she's taking hold of him she's forcing herself this is this is a real test of course, you can imagine that she would have... I mean, she's clearly planned this. Mm -hmm. You have to plan it to be able to get rid of that many servants in a house that I can only presume was quite big. Right. In a way that, you know, they've all literally disappeared. Mm -hmm. To have a massive house empty. She, she would have dressed herself according to, you know, the aims that she had for the this occasion. encounter. Of course. Right. And the fact that you're right up in front of him to be able to grab his garment. Mm -hmm. She's not just, you know hollering at him from across the room, you know, oh, hey, it is me. No, she's really, really pressing herself up mm -hmm. against him. And you know, he's not just a cardboard box. You know, he, he is a man. Mm -hmm. He would have genuinely felt things, you know, you designed to in situations like that. Mm. But he doesn't, what does he do? What does Joseph do? He flees. Mm. Like, can you imagine that situation where okay, you know, let me get my pen and paper out and let me debate the pros and cons of this situation. Right. I could do this with her and maybe I could get away with that or this. No, he does not hesitate. She's got hold of his physical clothing and he just leaves. He flees, doesn't even look back. Think about it. The house is empty. Uh -huh. She is a female. He is obviously a very hardworking male. You can only presume he was reasonably built and strong. He would have been stronger than her mm -hmm. in that moment. He could have gone back and been like, oh, actually, that's my garment. Right. Uh, excuse me whilst I just depart. Uh -huh. He doesn't even think. Mm -hmm. He does not care what she has of him. All he knows is that he's leaving with his heart integrity intact. And this is, I mean, this doesn't make sense in today's world. You know, the modern man of today doesn't flee from a woman that's just offering herself up to him. No. And even if it's like, oh, well, you know, I have a little kiss and oh, no, 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 this is wrong. Let me go. And very often I think that we make decisions where we know what's right. We know what's wrong. So what was wrong would be to interact with Potiphar's wife. That's mm -hmm. adultery. That's not right. But very often we know what's right and wrong. And instead of fleeing like Joseph fled, uh -huh. we kind of crawl away because we're 
fulfilling the dictates of our conscience. Right. It is wrong. You should not leave. be there. You must leave. Mm -hmm. So instead of fleeing, you kind of crawl away, kind of looking over your shoulder, hoping against hope that maybe it'll catch me up again. Mm. And that happens so often. Yep. How many times we go back to relationships we know we shouldn't be in. We still start talking to somebody that we knew we should have just stopped interacting with completely mm -hmm. a long mm -hmm. time ago. It's that idea where you're crawling away, hoping against hope that you'll have an encounter again, a little rough and tumble, and then, no, 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 I must continue crawling away mm -hmm. because I'm going the direction my conscience is telling me I should go, mm -hmm. which is away from you right. or that situation. And that's the problem very often, and I mentioned it before, um, just having this idea of no, Right, I know, I know what's wrong. Yeah. Exactly. But if your no doesn't have meat to that, as uh -huh. it were, if you don't know the reasons why, when you're presented in situations like that, especially a sexual situation, uh -huh. our bodies are designed to react to, to say certain, yes. Yeah, to certain stimuli. And when your body is reacting and, you know, getting going, mm -hmm. it feels right. It mm -hmm. feels like something I want to passionately do. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's just, oh no, I shouldn't. It's not a big enough right. no. It might, it might stand up at the very first test. Of course. You know, like, oh yeah, we shouldn't. Yeah. We shouldn't really. But then how many times do people end up being like, they do, and then at the end it's like, oh, shouldn't have done that. And, and that, that's the thing, being taught right from wrong is good in itself, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's not going to really get to the heart. You know, when we're talking about how, how we raise children, we say, well, don't do that. Why? Of course. I mean, I do the same thing with my children. Yeah. I know how I was raised. I was given very good principles of mm -hmm. what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And for a certain while, you know, in your innocent child of life, you grow up abiding by them. Right. But the problem for me is that I don't think I was ever taught why. Mm. And there's a difference between just know right. and why. Mm -hmm. And for me now as a mother, having my own children, it's very easy when they want to do something and say, no, don't do that. Don't right. do that. But I find that it's it's my passion to be able to educate them in a way where I want them to know the why behind and my no. Naturally, the children want to know why. Of course. You tell them, no, don't do that. And they'll say, well, why? Yeah. <laughs> and the response, well, because I said so. Of course. Because I told you so. Because I'm the parent and you're the child. And all, and all of this stuff, just, you know, we're just kind of exuberating our authority. But what we are doing is whilst we are maybe keeping them temporarily from from this issue that they're heading towards, this problem, this this pain, is like like we see, well, we don't see this in the life of Joseph, thankfully, but like we see with so many, so many people nowadays, it's no just doesn't cut it. No, it doesn't teach you to make decisions. It's very easy to operate by a set of rules, mm -hmm. but if you do not have the ability to make decisions, you're not going to be able to, mm -hmm. to make it in a way that you know, I believe that God intends us to without getting scars, without getting issues. Right. And for my children, I want to absolutely teach them the why behind the no, mm -hmm. so that when they are presented with the dynamic that I haven't given them, you know, a black and white answer to, right. they're able to apply the principles behind the no that mummy mm -hmm. or daddy said mm -hmm. and make a decision for themselves in their fresh situation. I cannot possibly foresee the things that my children will encounter. Exactly. My parents couldn't have foreseen what I've encountered. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, my life happened. And when I was presented with situations, my no just wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. And I had this internal debate in my mind oh, yeah. because my no wasn't robust. Mm -hmm. 
Joseph didn't have that internal debate. He had the wise, he'd lived out his principles, and he fled. Naked, as it were, he did not care about his external you know, perception. What if he encountered somebody else on the way? He right. didn't care. Yeah. He just fled. He said, no matter what, I'm guarding my heart above mm. all else. I'm not going to sin before God. I couldn't care less what Potiphar's wife thinks mm-hmm. or anybody else I encounter on this right. fleeing. I'm going to stand for principle and let God deal with whatever happens afterwards. Mm-hmm. He was able to make that split second, extremely important decision, just like that, because he didn't have the need for internal debate. And very often, I know, for, you know, from my own personal experience, I hadn't taken the time to flesh out my nose and my principles. And you know what? Parents can't possibly, I, I don't even know if they can sit down and educate their child to all the nuances of what could pertain to know. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, growing up and maturity comes. Right. Okay, my parents have given me these principles. Let me spend time in the Bible. Let me read the examples of other people and see the experiences of other people and actually build up my nose for myself, build up my own character, my own integrity, what I stand for, who I am. Mm. I mean, that's character building. Yeah. And you have to take a certain level of responsibility for that, mm-hmm. um, you know, for yourself. But I think it does help very much if when we have heard that initial no, right. we are educated or at least put on the road to why. To put it simply, why is greater than no? Joseph's principles determine his actions. And when we come back, we'll see just how far Joseph was willing to go to remain true to God and pure in the sight of heaven. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. Hi, I'm Mayanne, and I'm a student at Weimar Academy. Education is about more than just school. It's about the harmonious development of the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Weimar Academy offers such a program, one where emphasis is placed on the development of character. Sure, the students study, but they get to do so much more. Agriculture, adventure, choir tours, work education, camping trips, and opportunities to take the things they've learned and apply them in their local community. The school is open to 14 through 18 year olds, so maybe it's time to organize a visit and check it out for yourself. You can do so at weimaracademy.org. Joseph has resisted the temptation of Potiphar's wife before, and he has to do so continuously. She set everything up for him to fail. She meticulously plans for her and Joseph to be all alone so that she can literally grab him by his clothes and force him to, well, but Joseph isn't having it. He's decided in his heart that he will stay true to God and leaving his clothes in Potiphar's wife's hands, he flees. He doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care if people see him. He runs for his life. Joseph has decided that he will retain his purity at any cost. I think it's an idea that we just all have in the back of our minds. We don't label it with the word purity because it seems, you know, it's a very seemingly dated word. Mm-hmm. But none of us want to be 
seen as being, you know, oh, she's been around, he's right. been around. Mm-hmm. And what is that? That's purity. She's impure. Mm-hmm. He's impure. He's, he's, he's got history. She's got baggage. Right. We don't want that. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, we all have um, thoughts on purity and, and wanting to protect that to a certain extent. But is it something that we focus on as we see Joseph right. has done? Purity so far as uh, it doesn't compromise how I want to feel mm-hmm. right now or, mm-hmm. you know, I just have this urge. You know, purity is exactly that spotless, clean, pure, just blank canvas, white, no history, no drama, no scars. Do we have that idea of our heart being a place mm. of purity, a place where, you know, we're told that, oh, God must dwell in your heart. We raise his children to know, you know, Jesus must live in your heart. Does Jesus live in your heart? But why is it so important that our heart is a place of purity? Mm. It's because God can't dwell in a place that isn't. And it's an ideal, but the reality is that we often lose that along the way. Mm. We, we find ourselves in situations just like Joseph finds himself. And we resist the devil and he flees and he comes back tomorrow and we resist. But slowly but surely we let our guard down. And there's impurity now. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we deal with that? I think looking back to my own life. Mm-hmm. If I had more weight to my nose, right. if I knew the why behind my nose, my life would be so much different. Oh boy. So, so different. Mm. And the thing is, you know, I'm happily married now. I have a wonderful husband, mm-hmm. two amazing children. And, you know, life is, it's not perfect, but I'm enjoying it yeah. at the moment. So it's not to say that, you know, your future can't have great things in it, all the things that you hope and want, but... The problem is when you compromise earlier on, mm-hmm. um, you always have the memories. Yeah, You always true. have the memories of regret. Regret mm-hmm. is one of the hardest things to put out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Like when you read that, you know, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them. And, you know, he, he, he'll forgive and forget. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I'm like, how on earth can God forget that? Right. And even as much as you can go back and you know, I ask for forgiveness. I've made that time of my life, you know, right with God. All of those things, you know, I'm at peace with. But you'll always have mm. the memories of those things. It's very similar to having like, you know, like a scar, yeah. like an old scar. Mm-hmm. Something happened for you to have a scar. I have a scar on my, I think it's my right cheek. I don't even remember. It is. And <laughs> you could see it. Um, I was young. I, I think I was probably about three. I was really, really small. Mm-hmm. And I think I had some sort of source on my face. Right. And in my mind, I saw my dad get things off his face, like, i.e. shaving cream, with a razor. <laughs> so in my mind, I was like, okay, great. I'm going to get this thing, this stuff off my face right. with a razor. So what oh. did I do? Climbed up, got daddy's razor, went in front of the mirror and oops, I nicked my face with this razor and cut my skin right, right down. Mm. To the white. And my mom said it was just bleeding bleed oh, it man. was it was just like can you imagine seeing your three-year-old covered wow. in blood and it wasn't stopping um and 
I have that scar to this day. I did it when I was very, very small. Mm -hmm. And it's so tiny, most people don't even see it. Yeah, I only noticed it when you said it. Yeah, exactly. And I, to the point, I don't even remember it's which cheek it's on. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still there. But it's still there. And whenever I go and I see a razor or I see something, or especially like my kids climbing up in the bathroom and uh, my husband's razor's there, I'm like, oh my goodness. Mm. That memory just, you know, it just flits across my mind. It's very passing. Um, but I'm always going to have a different awareness to razors than anybody else would. Why? Because I did something I shouldn't do You've way back when. I've had an experience with it and it has left a scar, mm -hmm. albeit very unnoticeable. And this is why Joseph's message of fleeing, of guarding your heart above all things, is so important because we might actually make decisions, wrong decisions, mm -hmm. sins even, and there may not be consequences quote unquote we there may not be something that follows us around and and this great big repercussion of the decision that we've made but the reality is as you're saying that these memories they do stick and think about it how different many of our marriages would be if we ended it with no thought of what apart from obviously knowing yeah. the logistics of how things work mm -hmm having no possible encounter of how those things outplay and just the purity of exploring that with your partner that God has given you in marriage without having a flashback to, oh, perhaps this, or flashback to that situation because, you know, I've had those encounters in the past. That's the ideal. Very often it isn't our reality. And God is absolutely able to work in those situations and, you know, dampen those memories and do those things. But how much easier would it be and how much better, mm. how much closer to God's ideal if they weren't there in the first place. And I think that the example of Joseph and why I think that such detail is given to this encounter in the Bible is literally for us today. This is God saying, listen, I am in every single situation that you, you're facing. I'm there when that person's tempting you. Mm. I'm there when that person gives you that look, touches your leg, shows a little bit too much skin. I'm there in that moment and I just need you to have that same integrity that Joseph was, to notice that I'm there, to believe that I'm there in that situation and for you to have that same heart mantra, you know, how can I do this mm. and sin against my God? God is always there, ever willing to help. But let's be real. Sometimes temptation comes and we want it. Yeah, we know God is there. We know we can gain the victory. But sometimes, sometimes we don't. Is there forgiveness? Yeah, Christ all offers that. To clear our accounts, you know, to give us another chance. But it doesn't mean that the past never happened. What do you do if you do find yourself with a past mm. and maybe we all have them yeah everybody has different degrees of I suppose points in their past um, baggage yeah but it's all relative to us you may have one thing but that thing is so consuming to you mm. or you may have a few or, or but it's all relative what do you do if you find yourself in that situation mm. most of us do and for me I found that um in my own particular experience, I'd just, I'd come to the conclusion that after 
an experience of where I should have fleed, which I did, but I, I crawled away. Mm. And my situation, my relationship caught me back up. You know, I didn't want it, but I wanted it to, and it right. did. And if I'd stuck to my principles and fled that first time, my life would be very different. Um, but I didn't. I went back in that situation. That's where a lot of my heart pains and things that I've had to deal with in life have stemmed from. Right. And I've just come to the conclusion that, you know what, I'm just always going to love him. Mm. People are like, oh, there's plenty of other fish in the sea. It's like, well, it's fine. I, I just wanted that fish. Right. What happens if you just want that fish? And that's where God met me one night. Um, I had a series of wake-up calls, and I suppose like Joseph, I had a dream. And that dream started with God waking me up and saying, my child, wake up. I cannot bless you with the future that I have for you until we deal with this. My child, wake up. And in that moment, God, um, he opened my mind's eye, as it were, to seeing this girl in a room. The door was open, there was a big door. There was a very light kind of beige colored fl wooden floor. Mm -hmm. There was a fire in the corner, but it's kind of running low. It wasn't providing much warmth. And there was a table with some old bread on it. Mm -hmm. And she's walking around this room shivering, like she's got her hands around her, her, sh her shoulders and she's rubbing her arms, just trying to hug herself, some warmth into herself. Mm -hmm. And she seems really upset and really down. And then after a while, I see this guy walk in through that open door mm. and he's got these big muddy boots on. Mm. But as soon as she sees him, her face lights up and she's so excited that somebody has come into her space mm -hmm. and she's not alone. And she follows him around the room and he's tramping those muddy boots all over that light colored floor. And, you know, after a while, he kind of looks a bit bored and he makes to kind of go out of the door and she's like, no, 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 don't leave, don't leave. And she takes him by the hand and she sits him at that table and she gives him the bread that's there. And he eats his fill. And then he just walks out mm. and leaves. And she is broken. And she looks at her floor. And she's like, what a mess. What am I supposed to do? So she kind of gets down on her hands and knees and she tries to wipe away that mud. And you've ever tried cleaning mud and you're just smearing circles right. yeah, in making it? Making it worse. She gets a rug and she puts it on the floor and covers up most of the mess. Mm. And no sooner has she done that, the in walks another guy. He's got muddy boots on too, but this time, you know, he seems a bit more, more polite. He's got conversation. Mm. Ask her how she is. He sees that, you know, the rug is a bit of a, a soft spot, a bit of a tender area. So he avoids the rug. He keeps his mess, like, on the edges. Mm. He doesn't trample on that part of her space. And she's like, oh, this is much better. Right. But eventually he just tramps all over that muddy, the, his mud all over the mat and eventually looks a bit bored and he's about to leave and she's like, no, no, no. Sits him at the table, gives him the bread that's there. He eats his fill and when he's done, he walks away again and she's alone. The fire's basically gone out and she's cold and she's just crying. And at this point, God kind of stops what I'm seeing and says, this is you. Hmm. This is you, Shah. 
You've left the door of your heart open and people can just walk in and out, taking their fill of whatever it is that you present them. And at the end of it, what are you left with? Mm. A messy floor, you're cold, and a ton of regrets. So God takes me back in this dream to the room again. And this girl is just crying. Yeah. She's shivering and crying. And then she hears a knock at the door. She's like, what? Nobody knocks. You know, the door's open. Nobody right. has need to knock. She hears a knock at the door. She turns around and sees a guy standing there, pristine white robes with a, bu- a red bucket in his hand. She's like, who is this crazy guy? Like, who is this weird person? And he just keeps knocking. And she turns her back on him and ignores him like, he's clearly strange, I'm right. not interested, you know? But he's persistent. So she turns around and she's like, you know, she puts her shoulders up like, what? And he's like, let me in. And you know what? She thinks I've got nothing else to lose, so she mm. does. And he comes in and the first thing he does is close that door. Puts down his bucket and closes that door. And on that red bucket, it says, precious blood spilt for you. Sue kind of got the idea that this was Christ. And he just holds her. He holds her till she stops crying. Like there was no rush. Mm. And then he puts her right next to the closed door and says, wait here. Then he gets down in his pristine white robes on his hands and knees. And using that bucket, he clears up all the mess on her floor. Throws away that rug, cleans it up. He then goes to that table Mm. and he puts fresh bread on that table. Mm. Clears away all that old stuff. Then he goes to the fireplace, puts fresh wood on there and he restokes that fire till it's blazing warm. There's no more, no more cold. And it gives a really nice glow to that room. And then when he's done those two things, he goes and stands next to her, puts his arm around her, and together they wait. And then a bit later, she has a knock at the door. And she looks up at Jesus and he's like, mm-mm, shakes his head. And she kind of cracks the door, throws out a sign. It says 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You're not your own. She throws it out to whatever, you know, waste man's outside. My body is a temple, you cannot come in here. Mm. And she continues to wait. And eventually there comes a knock and she looks up at Jesus and he nods. And she opens the door and this guy comes in. You know, his shoes are a little bit muddy too, but he takes them off. He smiles at her and then walks over to Jesus, kneels down. Christ put his hands on his shoulder, lifts him up and brings him towards the girl. And then he holds them together. That's where the dream ends. And God said to me, Shah, you're not alone in this. Mm. There are other people out there who treated their hearts in this way. They haven't prioritized their purity. It hasn't been at the forefront of their mind. And I want you to share this. I want you to share this story of, yes, there can be mistakes, but there absolutely can be healing and restoration. And the only way for that to be, become a reality is to let Christ come in and to close the door of your heart. The purpose of of my heart is worship. And everybody that's in my sphere of influence should be there to do the same thing and be encouraging me to do the same thing. And will we have that same integrity that Joseph did? You know, above all else, I will guard my heart, my purity, the cleanliness of that floor, 
Is that my priority? Do I view that I'm not just in this earth on this level, but do I have an understanding of the audience of heaven and ultimately that God, my Father, cares and is watching me just so that I don't make those mistakes and have to live a life of regrets? He doesn't want that. Ultimately, the lesson of Joseph, for me, I mean, I wish I was like Joseph. To have that integrity back then, to be like, no, and have weight to my no. Mm. He'd taken the time when he was young to, to build that. And I believe there's so many examples in the Bible where we can learn how to operate our hearts, to conduct ourselves with integrity, steadfastness, and purity. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And you just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or hearken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whythedidthat.org. Please also subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on your favorite social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at whythedidthat. This show was produced and edited by Christian Freed. Finally, we want to thank Weimar Institute, the media department, and especially Teresa Costello for help making this possible. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.